Welcome back to How They Train. With the Ironman 70.3 World Champs in St. George this weekend, I really wanted to get one of the big favourites on beforehand to talk about their training leading into the race, the race itself, and who better for that than one of the women's, you know, absolute expected uh, fight for podium position people, Paula Finlay. Paula is one of the best middle distance triathletes in the world. She's had so many big results, like winning Challenge Daytona two years straight, especially in 2020, where it was arguably like the biggest middle distance race of the year. Um, coming second at the PTO Canadian Open this year and third overall fastest time at the Collins Cup only about eight weeks ago. Uh, Paula is like someone we are all expecting to play a huge role in how the race plays out with a strong all-round game, but particularly with, with the emergence of her bike and run combination being literally one of the best in, in female triathlon. Paula, thanks so much for joining me. How are you feeling now being um, so close to the start of the, the 70.3 World Champs? Yeah, thank you for the nice intro. Um, I'm feeling good. I'm excited. It's a couple days out now, so obviously the nerves are a big factor at this point, but I really try to stay like pretty process-oriented every week that there's a big race coming up, and uh, I have a really good group of people here with me. I have Nick, our friend Nick Goldston, and obviously my partner, Eric, he's also racing and, uh, we're staying with Holly Lawrence and her partner, Sean. So we have a really good energy kind of feeling in the house. So it's, it's been a fun week so far. So with this build up, because like we were sort of talking about off air there, you know, 2022 has been a year where there's been a hundred races. So many people have done so many races, you know, we had the Ironman world championships just a, a couple of weeks ago and, you know, Lucy Charles Barclay and, and Taylor Nib and probably yourself are like the three really big favorites to win this race, I would say. And those two have been, you know, racing a lot. Um, Lucy was obviously injured, but since she's, since she's come back, she's, she's raced a lot. She's just done the world champs and Taylor Nib's been doing every ITU race under the sun. And, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, you seem to be someone who, who might've played this year perfectly. Like, you've raced the big races and you've done really well at them. Maybe, maybe the U S open was a little bit below your lofty expectations, but outside of that, you've had like a massive year of, of going to big races and doing really well at them, but not over racing. I don't think yeah. have you sort of, has your end goal always been 70.3 world championships this year? Yeah, it's definitely been actually my primary goal that I was most excited about was the Edmonton PTO race because that was a hometown race. My mom's the race director. It's just like, literally at home. So I was really, really happy to have a good performance there. And after that race, it kind of brought me this confidence, like, oh, I actually maybe could do really well at world championships this year. Although it was still three months away, it just brought me this feeling of like, yeah, confidence with being able to compete with the best again. And funnily enough, I was like, I've always been a pretty good cyclist, but this year I decided to race the Canadian and national time trial championships and put in a really big block of cycling specific training leading into that in June. And I think that really kind of catapulted my triathlon season a little bit because I got this newfound kind of confidence, new wattages that I didn't think I could do before. So I was going into every race thinking, okay, the bike is my strength and that's what I have to use as my card. So I feel like that in every race I go into now. So it's exciting on a course like St. George where it's very hilly and the bike is a bit longer than the PTO races. So yeah, I've been a little selected with my races, but I think people like Taylor Nib and Lucy are in a different scenario because they were injured a lot of the year and now they're just all excited and getting into the race season. So I think everyone has a different pathway to get to this point, late October racing in a world championship, but really it's anyone's game. I think everyone on the start line is going to be super hungry for the win. So yeah, it'll be fun. 
I, I was going to ask like, or I was going to talk about the Canadian Open then and yeah. and go like, well, on reflection, that re- like that result of yours was actually pretty special. Like yeah. Chelsea Sodaro came third, Laura Phillip came fourth, Holly Lawrence, I think was sixth or seventh and Nicholas Spirik was, Spirik was ninth or tenth. Like yeah. that race outside of an Ashley Gentle who just did something like probably the most underrated performance of the year, that Ashley Gentle Canadian Open race. Yeah. If it wasn't for that, like – your performance there was so good against like what now is a really, really impressive field when you look back at it and see what those girls have done for the rest of the year. Like look at what Nicola did at, at Collins Cup or, you know, what Chelsea did at the World Championships. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, I just look at that and I go, well, Ashley Gentle's not here. I don't think the course really would have suited her anyway. But apart from Lucy and Taylor, that's everyone. And if you bring that kind of form, like I just, I just don't see a world where you're not right there. And, and if you have a, a day you're capable of, like this just to me seems like, th- like maybe just the year where it's going to happen for you <laughs> on, on the big stage at the 70.3 Worlds. I don't know. I'm trying not to think too much about the outcome and the potential of getting on the podium and all that. Cause I know that it's within me to be able to do that, especially since I've had a healthy buildup and I've been running all year. But, um, Obviously, Taylor and Lucy are big players who weren't in Edmonton. And I, like I said, I do take a lot of confidence from performing well in Edmonton against a crazy strong field and people I really respect. But I feel like me as a racer, I'm a little bit more up and down and unpredictable than maybe someone like Daniela or Lucy who are consistently on the podium. So that's kind of been my triathlon career is like Paula Finley's there. She could win this race or she could be like a total disaster. So I think it's like kind of all over the map and all I can do is draw confidence from myself and my training and my past race results this year. And that's all been leading towards the signs that this could be a good day, but um, I can't control obviously what Taylor's going to do on the bike or what Lucy's going to do on the swim. So like, I think I, I listened to so many interviews of Chelsea Sodaro before and after her win. And she just talked a lot about, having the best race that she could for herself and kind of staying within herself and executing her plan. And I'm kind of trying to, you know, internalize that myself and think about me more than worrying about other people. So (laughs) maybe that's the way to do it. And you talked about that big bike block that you did leading into the, the Canadian TT champs and how that really progressed your bike, which is like obviously so important over the middle distance at the moment. And I'm going to come back to that. I'm going to loop back to that, but I want to take this, back a little bit to start. So I've been following your career forever, like back in 2011, where you just had that ridiculous year where like you were the best triathlete on the planet in 2011, really. Like you had that little patch where, you know, you came to Australia and and won Sydney and, you know, I think then you went on and won Madrid and maybe I think it was Kitzbühel as well. Um, And like you would, you, like I was following triathlon like religiously, but even to me, it was like Paula Finlay is really like just bounced onto the scene here. You know, you're obviously good in, in 2010 as well, but you were the best runner in the world back then. Like over five or 10 K, if you had your day, mm-hmm. like God, you were un- like, you were unbeatable. No one could run with you. Yeah. And I reckon people have maybe, maybe triathlon has a lot of new fans now, particularly over like the Ironman and the half Ironman distance. And people probably don't realize that you were the best runner in triathlon for for a long period there or for like a two-year period there and you now definitely are seen as as a really really strong cyclist who on her day can run run pretty well off it but you know you're not seen as that that like I don't think people look at you as just a pure runner like yeah. oh, the, the same way they maybe do Ash Gentle or, or Aaron Haug for example 
Um, so, I mean, my question is, it's like a bit of a convoluted way to get there, but how have you prepared for this race? Are you, are you preparing as if you're going to win this race on the bike? And, and if it's going to happen, it's going to be through a really strong bike. Um, how, how's your run been looking? Uh, you know, do you think that you can, can get back to being the, the best runner in this field? Do you feel like you're there this year? Yeah, that's, that's been a kind of a struggle with me for the past decade is like, you're right. In 2011, I did have this incredible run off the bike in particular. And I ran track all through university and kind of had this like 800 meter kick that nobody could really match. Obviously like people have followed my career at all. I seem to have disappeared for a long time and got injured a lot and had problems with anemia and my body changed. I mean, I was doing that when I was like 21 years old and 20 years old. So I was a different athlete a little bit back then. Um, so I've reinvented myself. I hate that word, but I've kind of reinvented myself in the 70.3 world. Um, and because I was injured so much for that 10 years, I put a lot more focus on my bike and through all the amazing coaches I've had and just putting more hours on the bike, I've really made that my strength. And I always wonder deep in my brain if like I could get back to the runner that I once was because I know it's in there somewhere. But I think as you mature and as you get older, and obviously this is a different distance than 10K, um, yeah, my I've changed a lot as an athlete. So I don't think it's impossible to get back to be one, one of the better runners, but I, I definitely don't have confidence in my run. So that's like one big difference is that I feel like leading into this race in St. George and really every race this year, the bike has been what I feel like I have to really, really perform well in, in order to win any race. And I can back my run sort of, but I'm not running as fast as Ashley Gentle. So um, it's a work in progress. And like I've shown myself in Daytona and other races where I've done well, if I can have a consistent block of running and it's nothing special, I'm not running a lot of miles. I'm not doing all these crazy workouts, but just consistency is really the only thing I need to be able to run well. So it's like a building block thing. And I think this year has been good. Hopefully next year I can continue to build on that. And find the old runner in me somewhere but <laughs> for now I think the uh, blessing in disguise is that I've gotten stronger on the bike so and I can't wait to talk about this race like specifically because yeah. I'm so excited about this this women's 70.3 world champs like I just can't wait to talk to you about the dynamics as someone who I think is going to play a massive role in it but before we get to that um, I, I, I do want to go over your training specifically in the lead up to this race mm-hmm. um, because yeah, I, I'm, I just, I'm just fascinated about how you've, whether you've just done the same thing as you always have, or whether you've sort of tailored a, a little bit more to how you think this race is going to play out and what you think you need to do for this race. So did you sort of have a, a like a, was there a, a time for you where you were like, okay, n- my training is now directed at the 70.3 world champs. Was there like a definitive start date and, you know, we've got this 12 week block and this is all about the 70.3 world champs. Yeah. Um, my coach is Paulo Sousa. He coaches a lot of, uh, ITU athletes and short course athletes. And I've been working with him for three or four years now. And I really put a lot of trust in him and his delivery of the program, but Unfortunately, I'm not nearly as like scientific and planned out as maybe the Norton regions might be or, you know, other people. So he sends me my plan and he has like a macro schedule and, you know, all these, all these things that are organized and I just do what's written on the paper when he sends it to me. So yeah, it's definitely been more 70.3 focused as opposed to 
before the um, PTO races, it was a little bit shorter distance. And before the Canadian time trial championships, we were training really, really high power for like shorter periods of time. So yeah, my training now has been more 70.3 focused, but I think if you asked my coach, Paulo, the only goal with me is staying healthy. So if I can stay healthy on the run, I know I'll be a player in any race. So for that reason, the schedule hasn't changed a lot this year in terms of the, the running. It stayed fairly minimal in terms of mileage and the workouts slightly progress every week, but there's nothing outstanding like that you'd, you know, be, be amazed by or anything. Um, but really it's just like consistent work and being fit and you can train a certain race to a certain extent, but I think at the end of the day, it really is just like the fittest person who has the best mindset and the most confidence who's going to perform the best. So naturally I think the terrain where I live in Oregon is rolling and hilly kind of like here, but yeah, I haven't done anything like ultra specific for St. George other than just training really well, training consistently, not missing sessions and putting my full life focus on this for the last two months. Um, yeah, my, I'm, I'm blabbing on and on, but Eric and I have a lot of other things that we also do with TTL and balancing other things. But for this race, we really intentionally put our focus on that more than other things like the videos and the photos and other things that we really love to do. So yeah, it's been a good buildup, um, but nothing miraculous, you know, it's <laughs> just consistent. And with your need to stay like healthy and injury free, because like you're right, like from from me, someone who I, we, I've never met you, I've never talked to you before. I look at your career as like this tale of inconsistency with like some of the highest highs, mm-hmm. but also some like pretty low lows because of, you know, I'm not going to say factors outside of your control, but in a way that like, you know, you, you've been injured a bit and you, you've been sick a bit. So when that come when when you and and your coach are, are like tailing tailoring your training to you at, like as someone who has been that person who has had inconsistency through sickness or or injury does does that mean that you've had to like like do you have to not ever do too much are you always someone who has to be really careful not to do much too much volume and we're in an era where volume seems to be coming back like everyone seems to be aiming to do more you know the norwegians um jan fredino in, in the women's field daniela reef is known for it like they all do really high volume and does that mean that you have had to resist the the temptation to do that and be a, a low volume trainer yeah for sure i think thankfully for me i don't love doing long stuff and a lot of stuff <laughs> like i don't like long bike rides i'd rather do intervals for two hours and same thing on the run i don't do any runs over like 80 minutes um so it's been, I think, just take taken discipline for me to make sure I respect the, the program that my coach sends me and not try to do extra. Because I think when I was a young athlete in my 20s and winning these WTS races, I would do more all the time because I was not really at school because I was just focused on racing for the Olympics. And so I'd have ex- all this extra time in the day and I'd do extra runs and do extra bike rides. And it was just completely detrimental you know, long-term for me. So I think as a 33 year old, who's been in the sport forever now, I know my body better. And I know that if I'm smart and actually respect like the speed caps that he gives me, he's always like holding me back more than encouraging me to do more, which I think is maybe an attribute of most athletes. They have to be reined in a little bit, but that's something that, um, Paulo encourages. And that also I have to be super aware of. And in a way, Eric as well, who I'm training with every day, just like 
you need to slow down. You need to not do this extra 5k that I'm doing and <laughs> having a little bit of discipline that way. So yeah, I'd say overall my mileage is lower, but I'm also not racing Ironman yet. So it doesn't have to be crazy high. I think like someone like Daniela. So if I ever switch over to the full, I think that might change, but for now this is working fine. <laughs> and so in the lead up to this race, Paula, what was your biggest week that you did volume wise? Um, on the, on the run, I was, I had four weeks in a row where I did like 70 kilometers total. So not huge, but consistent. And on the bike, I was about 13 hours a week and then swimming five times a week. So whatever that is in hours. So kind of, kind kind of not special, but consistent, you know, and a lot of that was quality, especially on the bike. Like we do a lot of hard 70.3 intervals. So within a two hour ride, 60 minutes of it will be at race watts. Um, and I tend to like overachieve on my race watts. <laughs> so when I actually race, it's a little less, but, um, yeah, it's a lot of quality stuff too. Yeah. And so I want to get into this because like, I guess let's talk about your strengths and your training in relation to this race, because like, I think it's no secret how this race is going to play out to a lot of people. Like Lucy Charles is, is going to swim hard and, and Taylor Nib is probably going to be there or thereabouts. If she's not with Lucy, she won't be far back. And you know, those two are going to ride hard. It's a course that, that is tailored to that. And it's Taylor Nib that like, she's going to ride insanely hard. Like, I think I look at the race and I go, well, Taylor Nib's the strongest cyclist and, and Paula Finlay's the strongest cyclist from the, from the chase group. And so I guess like I look at the race and see, well, Lucy's going to be out in the, out in front. Taylor will probably be there with, or, with her or very likely catch up to her. And then it's just, can Paula ride, like ride herself back into this race and, yeah. and get into a position where she can, where she can, you know, use her strong run off the bike to, to maybe beat a, a fading Taylor Nib and a, a fading Lucy Charles. Like that's, that's how I've, I've viewed this race. And, and it's why I wanted to get you on because I think how good your legs are on the day and, and, and like your ability to, to bridge up to that, that front group of, of Taylor and Lucy or just Lucy or just Taylor yeah. is, is really going to decide how this race plays out and who ultimately wins. Mm-hmm. Um, so with your, with your riding, are you thinking about that during your training? Is I like, are you doing those 13 hours with so much quality because you know, that's how, how you're going to have to race? Um, a little bit. Yeah. Like I envision myself, chasing because I don't, I mean, I'm a good swimmer, but I'm not out in the front with Lucy. So I, I mean, I, I try to take some confidence in like the numbers that I'm able to put out in training and like other people can't do this. And I obviously don't know what other women do for their watts on the bike, but I know that I can ride really well. And that brings me confidence. And I don't, I try not to think too much about how races are going to play out, but I think you're spot on on your prediction. (laughs) I think that Taylor is going to be maybe impossible to catch. I would love to catch Lucy. I, I had a little taste of it in Dallas when I raced them and it was a bit demoralizing to see Taylor putting time on us every lap, but I'm trying not to let Dallas impact my confidence because the weather was such a big factor there for me. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I think I listened to your podcast with Taylor Nib because I'm like, maybe I can get some snippets of info and she seemed to not give much, but she gave uh, me nothing. Hey, yeah, I was, I don't really ride to my Watts, like, and my plan. I don't have this like very calculated way of racing. I just, I often actually go out way too hard because I do get caught up in that um, race dynamic of like, Oh, I need to catch Lucy. I need to catch Taylor and minimize the gap to them. So I will usually go out at like 
you know, 20 Watts higher than my last 30 minutes. I, I do blow up a little bit on the bike and that's, I don't know, maybe getting out of sight a little bit and out of mind is a good way of racing in this race from the really fast runners that are coming from behind. But yeah, I don't know. I'm going off topic a bit, but, uh, I definitely think about my competitors when I'm training and take that into account, but I'm also doing what my coach sends me on the plan. So <laughs> he, he obviously is thinking about it too and knows the way the races play out. So I think he prescribes workouts that will help me get to that point of being able to be competitive with those other women. I'll come back to your training, but I, I think you've just brought up some stuff that's like really interesting. And I don't know if this course is that kind of course where you have to hammer early to, to like, I, I just think if you look at, I reckon the best example of this is, is Gustav Eden last year. And look, Gustav Eden is, it's hard to compare yourself to, to Gustav Eden with what he's doing. Like, it's hard to be like, oh, I'll just do what Gustav Eden does because right. if we could, if everyone could do that, they'd be a world champion, wouldn't they? But I think didn't, I just think he races like you. He probably runs a little bit better than, than what you're running at the moment, but not outside what you're capable of. If you compare it to like, you know, men's and women's racing, you're obviously not going to run as fast as him, but compar- comparable in, in your field, yeah. you, you guys ride really similar and you always come out of the swim in really similar spots. And so if you look at what he did at St. George last year at the, the 70.3 world championships, he was super patient early. Like he rode hard, but he was patient. And then when he, when he got up to, to like striking distance midway through the race, he just attacked and you saw how much time you can make up in the back end of this, of this course, like going up the climb and then coming down the climb, people, people cook themselves going up it. And then that long steady, like run into the, into T2, like people don't ride that fast there historically on this course and a strong cyclist like you I don't know I just I'm not not to try and like make this come across like to tell you what to do but just in an exchange of ideas about how I see this race playing out I don't know I just reckon the back half of this ride really suits how strong you are yeah I think you're totally right and I actually I've raced this race so many times and the part where I've lost time and people have caught me is on that descent coming back from snow canyon because you're going fast but you can still pedal and you have to like stay on the gears otherwise you're just gonna yeah, get caught by a lot of people. And I think that me as a racer, I really thrive off of being in the lead or with the leaders or within striking distance. So that's why I raced like Edmonton, where I had like minutes of leads that were, that were like growing every lap that really brought me energy and I could push harder every lap because of that. So I'm a little bit less patient in my racing, but it's a super interesting thought. I don't know. I haven't really dived it too deep into like what my strategy will be, but I remember that when Gustav took off kind of halfway through the ride last year, I was actually watching last year cause I was injured and, uh, that is a smart tactic, I think. And it's not in my nature to do that and be patient and be going out at Watts that feel comfortable. I'd prefer to get on my bike and just go hard, especially knowing Taylor's up the road, but, um, yeah, for sure. Uh, probably smarter tactic than blowing yourself early on a race like this. Cause the run is also pretty hard. So. Yeah, exactly. The run being hard is a big factor, but like that, like you talked about that long, steady descent into T2 at this like course, if you, if you cook yourself early, it's so hard to push a big gear down that hill, which you have to do, isn't it? And like, you can just, you can just leak time. But if you get over the top of that climb and, and you've, you've paced things well early, like you can just like, I just think you can make so much time there where everyone else is struggling because it's so much harder to push the big gear that you have to push. And I think that's like a point of the race that, that everyone watching or, or following along with should really like take note of is, is that climb. And then like how, like bigger time gaps open up down that climb. It's, it's happened. It happens every year there in this race, like you talked about. And yeah, yeah, I think, um, 
it's just like, yeah, I, I just think a patient Paula Finlay is like someone super dangerous on this course. Yeah, like, you're right. Maybe I'll just play that card instead. But hopefully no one's <laughs> listening to this who's actually racing me so they don't know. <laughs> when I'm going to make one yeah. but um Eric actually switched all our we usually ride a one by on our bikes and we put two buys on with like bigger chain rings to for that particular reason so smart because on that final descent you can like spin out and that happened to me a lot last time I raced as I was spinning out on that descent so I was just sitting in my bars not pedaling for some of it whereas now we have this bigger gear where we can kind of push harder so that's one thing we've changed, but you still have to have the energy to be able to push harder. So <laughs> got to pace properly, right? Exactly. And then, and then still have the legs. Like I see people blowing up on this course. Like it, it happens every year. Um, the, the run is so hard on this course coming off that bike where you do the climb and then you have to push this massive gear into T2 for, for a long time. And then like the run is just so undulating that it beats everyone's legs up. And, you know, I, I just, I just, yeah, if you, if you're patient and, um, and and play play like the patient game on this course it really can suit you and i think the the big factor for you hey is that you're not going to race girls that are that are patient or like yeah your two biggest threats are are, are people who they're not going i don't believe they're going to be thinking like that they're going to try and swim hard and, and they're going to try and stay off the front and, and they will ride hard early for sure and and so yeah maybe I mean, you can try and beat them at, at their game or or maybe play a different one. It's like, I th- yeah, I think you're the most fascinating piece of this race. And so that's why I'm so uh, so keen to like hear your thoughts on it. Yeah, I don't know. I It's so hard to, it's like imposter syndrome or something. Like I don't feel like I'm one of the favorites in my mind, but I, <laughs> I don't, it's a whole mental thing. But <laughs> yeah. uh, the other thing I'm really focused on this race is I've never really been very good at nutrition and taking in enough fuel and it's super impacted my racing. And like, I think last time I raced in Georgia, I took like one gel on the bike and was drinking a little bit of water. And I've just been so terrible at doing that, but I've made a really conscious effort in this training block to be taking in like 90 grams of carbs an hour, like three gels, just forcing myself to do it between intervals. And I've noticed this huge difference in my sustainability over a two and a half hour, three hour bike ride and being able to ride harder at the end of it. Cause I think that's been my weakness in 70.3 is going out hard and just fading really hard, especially on the run. So I don't know. I'm hoping that with a little bit more dialed nutrition plan, and I know my stomach can tolerate the gels because I've been practicing with it. I can not fade as much. And, uh, I don't know. It's one thing I've done a little differently leading into this race. And I think it can only be good. Um, as long as I can be diligent and like actually take in the gels and the, the fuel that I bring along with me. So, yeah. So can you tell me from when you like wake up in the morning on race day or no, go back when you, when you at nighttime, the, the night before, so to tomorrow or yeah, yeah tomorrow, um, right through to, to the end of the run. Do you have that entire nutrition plan laid out now to try and, you know, get the best out of yourself here? Now I do. I used to never. And it's crazy. Like even in Edmonton, I woke up in the morning. I was so nervous. I ate like half a bagel with peanut butter and the race started late. It was like 11 a.m. start. I had one gel on the bike. So like hundred calories, 30 grams of carbs and nothing on the run. Jesus. So between waking up and finishing the race, I had like, I mean, this, I probably shouldn't even be saying this on the podcast. It's very embarrassing, but I had a good race. So I'm like, if I can just get my fueling better, maybe there's this whole other level that's like untapped that I haven't even really tried yet because I don't know, it comes down to like, I get kind of nervous on my TT bike. I don't want to take my hands off the bars. I don't want to get out of arrow to take gels. And I just don't feel 
hungry on the run enough to like be taking in fuel. So yeah, it's something I've been super diligent about practicing the last two months because I think it's obviously an important piece of this puzzle. (laughs) That's actually like mind blowing to me. That's insane, Paula. I know it's so crazy, but it's, it's why I've been working on it. Cause I know it's crazy. And it <laughs> was it happening because like, why, why was it happening? Was it, was it literally just a nerves thing or was it, yeah. was it literally just like a, I was just being sort of ignorantly silly about it or, you know, there wasn't like yeah. anything else. I think like in general as an athlete, like when I was winning all those WTS races, I only did water. Like, I think everyone has different requirements for carbohydrates and gels and nutrition and stuff in races. And mine is definitely on the lower end because I've been able to have this good career with pretty minimal race fueling. But um, yeah, maybe it's a little bit ignorant, but it's definitely a factor of like just pushing hard on the bike and like forgetting to a certain extent that I need to stop for a second and make sure I get the the fuel in. And if I ever make the jump to Ironman, obviously it's an even bigger piece of that puzzle. So that's why I'm trying to really dial it in remind myself it's it's the fourth discipline of triathlon is feeling well <laughs> so um yeah i don't know you got to practice it in training though otherwise it's not second nature right <laughs> so can you tell me what this plan is can you walk me through it from the night before the race until like the end of the run <laughs> i'm really curious how like big a change you've made well i'm gonna try to take a gel every 30 minutes on the bike and then have nutrition in my bottle and i'll have three bottles. So one between my arms and an arrow bottle on the down tube and one behind me. And then on the run, I'll try to take in two gels and then water at every aid station. Yeah. God, it's a lot more than what you were taking, isn't it? I know it's still not that much. That's the thing is I'm not like, I don't want to make this huge, enormous change where I'm like having stomach cramps, but it kind of got to get in a little bit of of carbohydrate and fuel. Well, if you compare it to what other people are doing, right? Like I've talked to Frederick Funk and, and Magnus Ditliv, and then I, I've talked to um, Christian and uh, and Gustav's coach, which is going to come out next week, by the way. Uh, and they all take in like 140, 150 grams of carbohydrate per hour, which like you were doing like 30. I know it's, it's crazy. I mean, that's way too much for me. I think, I don't think women are taking that much in maybe some, but um, if I can get in like 60 to 90 an hour, I'll be happy. I don't know. I'm going to get so <laughs> criticized by people <laughs> if they listen to this, but that's my plan for this. So we'll see. Yeah. Pretty hard for anyone to criticize Paula Finlay really. Like how, there's not many people out there who have had a, a better career. So if you're <laughs> criticizing, it's like a little bit stupid really. But, um, <laughs> so re- going back to your training quickly, um, I mean, obviously, you you were didn't race the seventy point three world champs last year, but we all saw what Lucy Charles did. My opinion, that's the the best performance a, a female has probably ever put in over the seventy point three distance. I like I was literally mind blown by that performance. Um, and and so it's the same course. She's been injured, but we saw at Coda, she's actually come back, and and that's probably you know helped her. She's probably going to be in in good shape uh, in in the race this weekend, and and probably. The, the person to beat her or Taylor. And, and then like I keep talking about, you're the, you're the one who, if anyone from the chase back can, can get there, it's, it's going to be you, I think. So have you, have you been swim? Have you changed? I know you, you sort of have already hinted that maybe you haven't, but, but are you swimming more or are you swimming harder and, and, and like in an attempt to try and limit your, your loss to, to Lucy Charles particularly, but, but even Taylor Nib? Um, no, I haven't changed my swimming volume or intensity really. We actually swim really hard a lot. And I think a lot of that is because Paulo coaches a lot of 
the best ITU swimmers actually like Summer Cook and Taylor Spivey and women that are out at the front of those WTS races. So we kind of get this, a similar training program to them. And it's just a lot of like hard kind of boring swimming. So there's not a ton of like, I mean, if I went to the pool an extra day or two a week, that would ultimately like make me more tired for the bike and run. So there's, there's this balance you always have to play with in triathlon and how much time am I actually going to get on them by going to the pool more often or by swimming harder. <laughs> um, I think a lot of the swimming fitness that we get from the workouts we do with Paulo ultimately lead to coming out of the water fresher. So it's not like I'm necessarily getting much faster by training and doing what we're doing, but I'm coming out of the water feeling better so I can ride hard um, and not have the swim impact me as much. So my swimming is so hit or miss. And I think a lot of people feel this way. Sometimes you go to the pool and you're swimming amazing. And the next day you can, you're sinking like a rock and my best swim blocks have come when I'm injured on the run because you just always feel a little bit fresher. So it's such an up and down roller coaster. But to answer your question in a long way, no, I haven't changed my swimming at all. Um, but I haven't decreased it either, obviously, just kind of doing what we're doing and what works. And I, I think that there's no world where I'm going to improve my swimming so much to be swimming with Lucy. So it's just kind of holding my hopefully the front pack or the, the chase pack, I guess the main chase group would be uh, a good spot for me to get out with uh, those girls. And then with your sort of like 13 ish hour bike weeks that you, you're doing pretty consistently, yeah. you, you talked about how you're doing a lot of it indoors and a lot of that 13 hours is, is really high quality and not just like um, easy riding. Yeah. What, what does like, what does a typical bike week look for you on like a Monday to Sunday type of thing? Uh, Monday we'll do a 90 minute cruise Tuesday will be and cruise is like our kind of choice of lots um, I usually ride my gravel bike on those rides I really we live in Bend with lots of gravel roads and I just feel a lot safer riding off-road so I've used that bike a ton this year um, Tuesdays will be a really specific hard 70.3 workout so like an hour cruise warm-up like a, above 170 watts and then straight into some three by 20 minutes or six by 10 minutes, something like that with kind of short recoveries in between that aren't full recoveries. So we'll go from 70.3 Watts down to, you know, 180 Watts for a few minutes and then back up to the wattage. So that's like a good solid 80 to 90 minutes of work and then a cool down. Um, Wednesdays we'll do like a pretty aerobic longer ride. Thursdays will be off. Fridays are hard again. Saturdays are cruise and Sundays are long rides. So I don't know that equals <laughs> 13 hours usually, but two quality rides, a couple choice rides, and then one, two kind of endurance longer rides. A couple of questions because you're racing 70.3 now and TT position is everything. And like we saw at the world championships, like the Ironman world championships a, a few weeks ago that like you just have to ha be so nailed in your TT position to, to win races now. Yeah. Do, have you, a, have you spent much time focusing on that, like your equipment and your position and B, on the trainer and in these harder sessions you're doing, are you doing absolutely everything in your TT bars, like holding that position? Yeah. Yeah. For the, for the intervals, yes. A hundred percent arrow, no setting up, um, especially on the trainer because there's no corners or anything to deal with. Um, but on the flip side of that, I actually ride like my road bike and my gravel bike more than probably most long course athletes do partly because I come from the ITU background and I'm more comfortable on my road bike. I love riding it more than my TT bike. 
but um, when it's time to do intervals, they're definitely very focused and all on all in TT position. And like you said, it's really important to be able to hold that position doing race watts and for long periods of time. So the only way to get comfortable doing that is to do it right <laughs> and have have um, I haven't worked too hard on like changing my position too much this year. I went to the wind tunnel with specialized early in the season and got some kind of baseline data and since then I've switched to riding the Shiv TT, which is the UCI legal bike. Um, and I switched to it because I was racing this Canadian time trial championships, but I got the bike and just absolutely love it. And I'm more comfortable on it than I am on my Shiv tri bike. So my position's a little more aggressive, but I've just been riding it so much more that I'm super comfortable on it now. So for me, I'm not a super confident rider on a TT bike. So being able to spend time on that bike and do my intervals on it really helps me build confidence and be able to ride better in races ultimately. And then the sort of similar question about your run, what does, what does this 70 K run week or, you know, like up, up to 70 K a week, what does, what does that actually look like Monday to, to Sunday? Um, we do two workouts and no long run. Like I think Taylor Nibb also said in her podcast with you, she doesn't really do a long run. It's like her longest runs are within a workout. And that's the same with me. It's like anywhere from 16 to 19 K of running, but you know, 40 minutes of steady or broken up into different fart like intervals. I don't ever run on the track, um, but two runs are quality and the rest are just like my, my coach has to constantly remind me to run slower on them because (laughs) my natural tendency will be kind of to drift towards like, 430s or 420s, which isn't really like an easy recovery run. So just for me living in Oregon and where we live in uh, in Bend, close to a lot of trails, Eric and I tend to run on pretty hilly terrain on trails often. So pace becomes a bit irrelevant and that helps me mentally to be able to actually slow down and you're getting stronger by running hills, but it's not like super quick turnover, like lots of pounding on pavement or anything. And I think that's been pretty critical to me staying healthy this year is doing the majority of running aside from workouts on trails. So that's a big part of our week for sure. With this, um, with this super shoe era of running we're in and with you being such an injury prone runner, do you train in your, like in your race shoes much, like in your, in your super mm-hmm. shoes, or are you like a bit, of, a bit scared of them for, for training and, and only use them for racing? No, I'm not scared of them. I actually think they help me feel better the next day sometimes. Cause they got, they're a little more, cushiony or something, but (laughs) Eric and I don't use them in our training ever. The most, the biggest reason, which is also going to be ridiculous is because we don't have a shoe sponsor and we don't want to buy like a million pairs of shoes every year. So we have like our race shoes and sometimes we'll use them for like a brick off the bike for a couple of weeks, um, pre-race. But for the most part, we're just training in our yeah, training shoes, never wearing race shoes to train, which is kind of nice because you get to a race and you get that bit of a boost that you don't have in training, um, or that extra speed that, that those shoes give you, um, without kind of relying on them on the day-to-day training sessions. I was actually going to bring this up cause I find this pretty funny and like bit shit, but pretty funny how you were sponsored by Nike for ages. Hey. Yeah. Um, and then, and then like when you were sponsored by them, shoe companies weren't really pushing the limits. Like they, everyone was sort of doing the same thing. Like there wasn't any, like there wasn't, it wasn't that big a deal what shoe you wore. It really wasn't. The the difference it made was like pretty minimal. And now that we're in this era where like Nike have completely changed the game, like 
um, a guy at Hoka came up with the with the plate, and then Nike, like I think they implored, they they paid like paid him off and got him over, and then they created this Pbax foam, and and like they just started this arms race in in the shoe game, and and Nike is still very clearly at, at like the the top of it, and now they're they're like now that they're there and like having their shoes over the last sort of two three years has been such a such a like huge advantage. You you're no longer sponsored by them. Is that sort of frustrating to you? No, I actually am still friends with the Nike sport marketing Canadian guy um, who I worked with back in 2011, 2012, when I was working with Nike and he's great. He'll send me shoes if I ask for them, but it's not like, you know, the carousel of shoes that are rolling into your house every month, like as when you're a sponsored athlete. So I do really, I'm still very loyal to Nike, but I started wearing the Asics shoes when I had an ankle injury, just because like I heard they were a little bit more stable. And they felt better on my ankle. So I like kind of reluctantly started wearing ASICs to race in just because honestly of my injury and just being healthy is like the biggest thing for me, even though I like to be loyal to Nike. But um, yeah, I've, I've started running a little bit in the vapor flies again. And I think the cool thing about not being sponsored by any shoe company is you do have that flexibility to write, wear what works for you and what's comfortable. And some people might tra- train in a different brand that they race in and yeah, it gives you a little bit more flexibility. But that said, I would love to have a shoe sponsor so that I can go through race shoes uh, every other week if I want to. <laughs> <laughs> are you uh, so? Are you going to race in the the Meta Speed from from Asics, or are you going to race in the Vaporfly from Nike? I'm going to do the Vaporflies for this race. I've I've been training them in them on some bricks, and they feel really good. And I still love the Asics, but um, yeah, I, don't, I think I'm going to wear the Nikes. It's, it's a bit of a toss up. I can't say that I haven't decided yet. Otherwise people will think that I'm a total disaster, but um, <laughs> I do have the Nikes uh, here with me with my elastic laces on them. Like, um, like Chelsea Sadaro kept saying, because I did an interview with her after she won the world champs and she kept saying this, she has this phrase, like she's a hot mess. And like, that's sort of like yeah. the same thing, like last minute decisions. I don't know. Like right. people ask you these, I don't know. I don't know. Bit of a hot it's mess. so funny how like, the race creeps up so fast and there's little things like I have two wetsuits and they're both different sizes and I don't know which one to wear. And I'm like, Oh, I'll just test it out. Like when I get to St. George and then I'm like, wow, the race is in two days and I haven't even decided what wetsuit I'm wearing. So it's, it's crazy. It's like pros look from the outside. Like we have everything all together, but a lot of the time we're scrambling a little bit too. <laughs> Literally. It's the most relatable thing ever though. Like I think everyone feels like that or like, you know, we, it's triathlon. So there's a few type A personalities who are like anal and have everything together and yeah. I'm a bit jealous of them, but I reckon most people um, can relate to that. Like p- last minute packing of bikes, not being sure, like getting there and like not being sure about what you're actually going to wear and yeah. having a couple of <laughs> options and yeah, like not knowing the course at all. Like that's a really common one. Like, Oh, where does this go? Trying to figure it out the few days before it. Like yeah. everyone can relate to that, that kind of thing. For sure. And that's how Eric and I both have been um, with our YouTube channel and with our podcast. We're like very open and we try to be relatable. Cause I think that's ultimately what like kind of builds a bit of a support network and a fan base of, people can hear about our experiences and be like, wow, I can actually really relate to that. So yeah, it's, it's very true. <laughs> and Chelsea's one of those people cause she's a mom and she has a kid and she's balancing a million things. So that was pretty inspiring to hear her whole story. To go back to the race a, a little bit, do you have allies in this race? And, and what I mean by that is, do you have people who you talk to before the race or, you know, during the race about like 
hey, we to, for us to win here, for us to ca- catch like Lucy or to beat Taylor, we're probably going to have to work together here. Or like it would make all of our like it it would increase the chance of of us winning, of one of us winning if we do it. Mm-hmm. Do do you get together and have these conversations at all, or is it literally just you get out there and and see what happens and no one's talking before the race about tactics or about helping each other or, or, you know, not helping someone or. Funnily enough, like before this race, we're all talking about what we're going to wear. So that's kind of like uniting us, <laughs> but in general, uh, just cause it's going to be cold, but I'm, it's funny situation I'm in with the sport right now, because I'm really good friends with a lot of the people I'm racing and all of the friends I have are also ranked very highly. And sometimes I beat them and sometimes they beat me and we're very interchangeable in our results. And we have kind of different strengths. So like, for example, I'm really good friends with Holly, but no, we don't strategize and try to work together. I think that if we find ourselves together on the bike, we're comfortable enough racing each other and we're good friends. So we will kind of instinctively work together in order for like the greater mission of catching whoever's up the road. But there's not a lot of like strategy pre-race about yeah working together to catch anyone and I think a lot of that just comes down to how unpredictable these races are like anyone could be having a good day or a bad day but the fact that I know Flora really well and I know Holly and I know Jackie and I'm friends with all of them so it's it's a nice feeling on the course actually when you see your friends out there and they're your competitors but also um there's, you know, there's a big world outside of sport and outside of racing, and we all get along super well off the race course as well. So uh, it brings me a lot of like comfort actually in the race to be alongside them. And I want to beat them, but I'm also happy if they have a good race themselves and beat me, which is kind of funny <laughs> as competitive as I am. So um, yeah, no strategies, but definitely get, uh, you know, pull energy off each other, which is cool. We saw it at Kona that that Iron Man made a really strong decision to to give penalties and to to punish, let's let's say breaking the rules. I I don't know if that's actually how it ended up happening. It seemed a little bit haphazard and maybe like um, certain TOs were giving a lot more penalties than others. Yeah. Do you think that that's going to happen in the the seventy point three World Champs? And are you will you be thinking about that as as someone who's like self-declared, not super confident on a TT bike? So like coming downhills, you're not really going to want to be slamming on your brakes if you come into um, a draft zone and that kind of thing. Like, are you are you going to be hyper vigilant about, you know, staying outside the the, the distance required and, and yeah. not blocking and, and all those kind of things? Is, is that something that you guys have talked about since Kona? Yeah, for sure. I think we all watched that happen. And I honestly don't think any of the women that got penalties were like intentionally drafting. Like it just like they were coming in the draft zone and yeah, the ref seemed to be coming down really hard on on people. So I'm aware of it. My style of racing is I prefer to be at the front, not sitting behind people. So like in Edmonton, I never had to deal with that because I was leading the race and Daytona, same thing. So um, if I am in a group, I'm usually way on the side of caution. Um, outside of the 12 meter zone, because yeah, that could definitely ruin your race, especially in a race of this duration. Kona, you can sort of come back, but I think a five minute penalty in a 70.3 is pretty devastating. So um, yeah, I'll be being extra careful all day for sure. And something specific to you. So you're obviously, um, your partner is, is a fellow professional triathlete um, and you two are sort of like a little team that, that uh, build each other up and, and, you know, progress each other's careers, particularly from a, a business standpoint. And um, that's that's evident for the, the whole world to see. But 
when it comes to performance and racing, there's been this thing historically that's happened where, you know, like when, when, a, when a male and female get together in triathlon, it tends to really help the female and it's a bit more hit and miss whether it, whether, whether it helps the male. And yeah. I'm curious with this about you because obviously – you're, this is going to seem disrespectful to Eric. I, I, I'm a big fan of both of you. I want that out there to start. But comparatively, you're one of the best in the world. You're a top five, six middle distance athlete in the world, if not top three, really. Mm-hmm. Whereas Eric's not quite there on the men's side of the field. So do you think that, but, but, but then Eric would still beat you over the, the same distance just due to natural differences. Do you think that training every day with someone who's better than you um, and can push you every day. And even for easy stuff, you know, like it's a little bit harder for you than what it is for him, generally speaking. And, yeah. and if you do a ride together, it's a little bit harder for you than it is for him, generally speaking. Yeah. Do you think that that's really helped you get back to being the athlete that you were in 2011 and, and get back to being one of the best in the world where maybe at, at some points it, it seems like it wasn't going to happen? Yeah, a hundred percent. I don't think I'd still be in the sport if it wasn't for Eric. I think us doing this as a team has brought me so much joy that I had definitely lost over that 10 years of being injured and sick and not racing well. And I felt like I was just doing triathlon still because it was kind of what I was supposed to be good at. And after I met Eric and we started training together and my results started improving, I don't think it was all because I am training with him being faster than me every day. It's just psychologically, mentally, the support, living the same lifestyle, it's way, way more fun and enjoyable for both of us. And um, for sure, Eric's not quite, you know, he's not talked about as a podium threat at this race, but he's actually almost had a better year than me. He won Alcatraz, he won Santa Cruz. He's winning races that he really cares about and that he's really passionate about. And he can get really excited for a certain race, train exceptionally well and go and execute and win it. So he's, um, I know on his own, right. You know, he's had an amazing season himself. So I think that there's benefits and detriments to training with your partner. You kind of have to make sure that when you get home from training, you can forget about the session. And it's frustrating for Eric because on the bike, I'll often be able to like stay with him and um, especially on Hills and stuff. And I think that's frustrating for him, but he also realizes that I'm one of the best cyclists in the women's side and it's good for me to be able to use him as a carrot. So it's taken a lot of, um, mental flexibility on his end, especially on the bike, but yeah, being in the pool with him, having him ahead of me and then on the run, chasing him on tempo runs and stuff. It's, it's definitely, um, something we also have to be careful with and do our own thing. A lot of the time, especially for easier stuff, he goes on his mountain bike and I do my own thing because we can get wrapped up in me going too hard and him. Yeah. Getting frustrated. So it's a, it's a balancing act, but I think for the most part, it is a hundred percent. The reason I'm racing better is, is cause of Eric <laughs> in more ways than just training. So he also had that, like, I, I don't know if this is just stupid by me, like maybe Eric and you don't see the, like this at all, but I, he's won races since, but I thought his seventh place at the 70.3 world's Cham- world champs last year was like his best performance in the last two years. Like I thought he was oh, yeah. like, I was, was it, I was like, I actually didn't have that faith in him at that point. Like, I'll be honest. Yeah. I, I, I had lost a little bit of faith in him. I thought, and I wanted to know what was going on. Like, I, 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 like, I wish I had have talked to one of you guys back then. Cause I really wanted to know as a fan of the sport, I was like, is, is Eric felt falling out of love with this sport? Like, does he just not care anymore? Is it, is his heart not in it? Because I just thought he was constantly underperforming for the ability that I believe he has. And yeah. then he, 
put in that performance at the 70.3 Worlds and I was just like, holy fuck, like what was that? Where did that come from? I know. I think it was a bit of a turning point for him as well, um, mentally and confidence-wise. It was so crazy. Like I wasn't racing, I was watching it and I was just as happy as if I had had a good race. It was just like crazy high for both of us. And he works so hard, but I think what a lot of people don't see, or at least maybe they do see because they watch our vlogs every week and our podcast every week is we do so much other stuff. And especially Eric, it's mind blowing how he fits all this in, in the week. He's like editing a full video, putting it out every Sunday, putting out a podcast every week and trying to be one of the best in the world at triathlon. So I think a lot of the times in 2021 that caught up with him a bit and he wasn't quite able to like, you know, get over the hump and have a really good race, but he seemed to balance it a lot better this year and at the end of last year and yeah, have some really good results while still doing some of this other stuff that we've been building with, with TTL. So yeah, it's a balancing act and ultimately what we're doing on the video side and the social media side and the community building side has been super, super valuable for us in terms of sponsorship, in terms of just, you know, being recognized at races. It's so crazy how many people follow us now and um, it's really, really special and it makes it kind of feel bigger than any result to have this whole community of people that support us. So Eric feels that too, I think. Training for triathlon is like, the, it's a roller coaster, a particularly long course triathlon, although short course guys train uh, like just as much, if not more than long course guys now by the, by the sounds of everyone, yeah. everyone I'm talking to, but it's a roller coaster and everyone listening to this who, who trains for endurance sport in general, but particularly long course triathlon where you're putting so much time into it and you're having to wake up to do it and get fit things in late and squeeze things in and you know, we all can relate to that thing where we have like a three or four hour bike ride to do and you're just like sitting on a couch and like putting it off and just being like, oh, I just can't be bothered. Or, you know, then you have some days where you're just on such a high and, and you're loving every minute of it. It might be that you're training with people you like or the, the weather's really nice. And, you know, it's just, you never just, you never always feel great. You never always feel shit. You're just on this, you're on this wave or this roller coaster. And, and sometimes you ride it like harder than other times. Like sometimes you can get super emotional and everything can feel like it's the worst thing in the world or like, you know, your, your world's falling apart when your partner and the person you're living with is also on that same roller coaster. Mm -hmm. How do you, how do you go balancing each other's emotions and, and like, I guess living together and being so close because like, there's just these inevitable highs and lows where one of you is grumpy as fuck one day and the other one's happy yeah. and one of you's sad and one of you's happy or you're both sad or you're both in the dumps or you're both happy. Is that, is that hard? Oh yeah. It's the biggest challenge I'd say. And we're both affected by different things. Like Eric will get frustrated if a, if a video that he's editing isn't going perfectly or it's not how he envisioned it. And I'm grumpy if a bike session didn't go well and I'm still thinking about it. So you're right. There are these crazy highs and lows and they're not always in tune with each other. Right. Like Eric's, like you said, um, on a high while I'm on a low, but I think what we're really good at together is using each other as motivation when the other person is feeling good and getting out the door together. And usually, I mean, this is so cliche, but once you get out the door, it's always a little easier and you just get started and do the workout and don't get wrapped up in it. Um, do what you can do on the day. And when there's two of us, we always get out for every session. It's not like if there's one of you and you're not feeling like it, sometimes you might skip a session or two, but we're really, we hold each other accountable and we have the same coach that helps a lot. So we have similar training schedules and uh, yeah, I think just like ultimately having a lot of stability in our life. Now we have a house in bend, we have an awesome dog, we have 
other things going on that bring us a lot of joy and triathlon's not the only piece of our universe. And if, if you listen to the ritual podcast with the Norwegians, it's like, they don't do anything but train, but I feel like that wouldn't work for us. Like we really like having other things that we're interested in and that we, that bring us good energy. So, um, yeah, we're at a phase in our, in our lives where we love where we live. We love our friends. Eric loves going out on his mountain bike. So that's a good outlet if he's frustrated with his TT bike or his something. So yeah, it's a, it's a constant evolving work in progress, but we've seemed to have figured it out pretty well. And uh, we know this isn't going to be what our life is like forever. So we're really appreciative that we can both do this at this level right now. It's pretty cool and pretty unique. So um, we're, we're grateful overall. <laughs> and some questions about the emotions of race day or, you know, like for us watching the race uh, when we're watching you on the day, like I asked this question about Braden Curry and it's the only time I've asked it on this podcast, but it, it was just, it was probably one of the few questions I thought about beforehand when talking to you that I want to know from you because I consume your content. I consume all triathlon content. Like if, mm-hmm. if you listen to this podcast, like you like I just could know every race result forever because it's all I do like I just love triathlon and like like you keep talking about your and Eric's content I watch it all but I watch everyone's content um and I get this vibe with you Paula um and as I'm getting to know you I think it's uh it's becoming apparently like more true is that you are someone who I guess is pretty okay with being emotional and like feeling whatever you feel that's just a vibe I get from you and on, I, I, I guess I'm wondering on race day, does, does that apply as well? Are you someone who is like susceptible to the highs and lows of how you're feeling on a race day? And like, do you, when you're feeling shitty on a race day, do, do you, do you think you feel it like pretty hard? And when you're feeling good on a race day, like maybe you talked about it, like uh, at Canada this year, do you think you feel yeah. that extra hard as well? Yeah, for sure. I think that I've had both experiences and lots of races where things are going well and that just fuels me and I feel even better. And then I've had the opposite spectrum where maybe things aren't going well and it's just this negative spiral, but I don't know. I've, I've learned over long course racing that a lot can happen over a four hour race. It's different than ITU races where if you're two packs back, your day's kind of (laughs) over, but a lot can change over a four hour race in a 70.3. So, um, what I've tried to do is stay positive, even when things aren't going well, or if I don't feel great, there's like in Chattanooga this year, I felt terrible on the bike. I just wanted to drop out and then still ended up coming second. So I like draw from those experiences where the race has turned out really well in the end when I'm kind of struggling mid race. So I don't know, hopefully everyone can relate to that a little bit and take some, <laughs> take some encouragement that um, just cause you feel bad on the swim or the bike, it doesn't mean the race is over. So there's a lot of, um, lot of stuff that can change over that distance right and then my follow-up to that which is like the question i really wanted to ask is when we're watching how do we know how you're feeling so (laughs) how will we as fans know that you're having a good day or a bad day like regardless of where you're sitting in the race um i've always been pretty good at like having a poker face so i don't really show pain or emotion or anything while I'm racing. And it's like, if I watch back races of me doing ITU races, it's like hard to tell that I'm working hard, <laughs> even though I was working in extremely hard. Um, so yeah, I don't think like watching the broadcast, there'll be a way to tell, but I think if I'm having a good day. You'll actually see me on the broadcast if I'm not <laughs> wealthy at all. So that's probably the best answer. <laughs> can we get a, can we get a sign going? Cause you're the only person that I was like thinking about who I want to talk to before the world champs. And they're really the two people I wanted to talk to 
out of everyone were you and Sam Long, one from the women's field, one for the from the men's oh, no. field. And yeah, I, yeah. I, it, how I'm playing it in the end is I'm going to talk to Sam regardless afterwards and I wanted to talk to you beforehand. And so being the only person who we're talking to beforehand, can we get like a bit of a sign going? Like if you're having a good day and feeling good, can we get like a, a gesture to, that you give to the cameras a few times so we can be like, oh, yeah, Paul is feeling good. Yeah, I could do a thumbs up. <laughs> Maybe just a thumbs up. But that's a bit too that, – like that's a bit too – you know, everyone knows that. Like, I want it just for like the people listening. Like, what about like a thumbs down means you're feeling good? I don't know. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> or just like, yeah, if I'm taking my gels, that means I'm feeling good because I'm on my plan. So <laughs> you can tell. So if we see if we see you eat a gel, it means you're feeling good. <laughs> yeah, it means I'm on it. Um, yeah, it's kind of fun. I was like, usually I shut things down and don't like to do podcasts and stuff before the race, but I've listened to a couple of the ones you've done with people that I race and other competitors and it's always really good, a good listen. So, um, yeah, I'm glad, glad we could catch up before. Maybe we can catch up after too, if I have a good day. But, yeah. Well, I think uh, even regardless, I like, I'm, um, yeah, not to do that thing where you say something nice and then I say something nice and it just becomes a, uh, a cuddle <laughs> fest. But I, the, that's the reason I asked you on Paul is because I've been a fan since like 2009, I think was the first year I really knew who you were in 2010 and 2011, particularly when you came to Sydney, me being an Australian, like I watched that race. Not many people would have watched that Sydney race. And so I've been a fan forever. Um, and so, yeah, I, I feel really privileged that you, that you said yes to coming on because you were literally the only person that I asked. I didn't get any no's and, and the one person I chose to ask in you, you said yes. So I was like shocked. Oh, wow. I literally turned to, to my housemate. I was like, Paula Finlay just replied in like five minutes and she said, yes, I was expecting just that to not even get seen. <laughs> well, I don't have a manager and I obsessively check my Instagram. So maybe that's a bad thing. I should be like <laughs> tuning out of social media, but um, no, I'm glad I saw your message. So thanks for taking the time to, uh, to chat with me. <laughs> my pleasure. And yeah, good luck. I'm, um, oh, I just can't wait to watch you move through that field and and if you hit the lead or if you get close to it, just know that you've, you've got us all behind you who, who are, who are watching and, and are happy for you. And like, um, yeah, don't definitely don't feel alone out there. You've got, I know you've got a massive following who, who want to see you push through the field and, and achieve big things on, on, on Friday. So yeah, yeah we're all behind you, Paula, and, and can't wait to talk to you regardless of the result next week. If you, if you'll have, if you'll, um, if you'll do it. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. It really does help to have a, a crew of supporters cheering whatever it is watching online or in person so um yeah it's really fun i'm excited too i'm actually more excited to watch the men's race the following day but hopefully the racing is fun for me on friday as well <laughs> <laughs> well good luck paula sleep well don't yeah. get don't get sick stay away from people don't eat any indian food or that kind of thing yeah all the normal things get lots of sleep <laughs> exactly <laughs> all right. thank all you right. see you paula thanks